should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Oh, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because none of these young people will tell me what this TikTok thing is. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who thinks he's really about to make it big on this new MySpace thing. <laughs> Benedict! Simple question this week. What's okay. your favorite Starburst flavor? Oh, that's a good question. And mm-hmm. actually, my, my taste Because there evolved. are wrong answers. No, my taste has evolved over time, <laughs> right? So I used to... My, my my answer used to be straight red, pretty quick, easy. Oh, the red, red ones are garbage. No, exactly. But I've changed. I've moved away from that as my palate has evolved. <laughs> so I think right now I'm in a uh, a pink winner. Yes, I'm with you 100%. Okay, all right, cool, cool. You you, you agree? That's I'm yours? a pink man. I'm a pink okay, man. Okay. I'm all we'll about them. But about also, like, I used to hate the yellows, and now I'm like, oh, okay. They're yeah, fine. People have they're strong right. feelings strong about feelings. the yellows. No, but they're fine. I they're like really how we okay. both recognize they are not flavors. They're they're not flavored oh, after yeah, the fruit no, supposed they're, to they're supposed to mimic. No, they're flavored after no. the color. <laughs> yeah. No, that's I think that's that's a known fact. I don't yes. think anyone I don't think anyone's disputing that. Um just like Gatorade. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Better You probably know. But uh some of the people out there, uh they might not know. What exactly it is that we do here on this program, and then I will say, the show where we go deep, 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 to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from a work of conservative nonfiction, and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Better let's start us off this week. Do you have a hot take for us? I do, and it's the, it's I, we just talked about this off air, but I'm still mad about it. It's impossible <laughs> to find pants. I'm trying I to do the Memorial that. Day Memorial Day sales. It's and so hard to find. It's so easy to find pants. It's not, it is no, not incredibly it's easy, easy, it's to, easy find to find to find boring pants. I'm trying oh, to find God. interesting pants, is what I'm telling you, um, and I simply cannot. So that's that's the problem that I am living through. Um, I understand that that this is a problem most people will never experience. Anyone, if you have non-boring pant suggestions for Benedict, uh, you can reach him at my. Pants my 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 are pants boring. are boring and com. I need you once dot com. Yeah, uh, yeah something, I something, something like that. I couldn't come up with something yeah. on the fly. There. No, no, it wasn't the it wasn't your best one. Nope, nope, didn't do too good. That's fine. Don't worry about it. What about your hot take? <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> my hot take this week, Benedict Jacob Wool is back baby is that a hot take or simply you know what i don't give a shit what it is i'm so excited for it look jacob wool was kicked off of twitter and everything after he did he did a bunch of crimes just a bunch of crimes like all the crimes all the crimes but my sincere (laughs) my sincere feeling is jacob wool should have been the one crypto fascist weirdo right winger that they just let stay on because his incompetence did more damage to the conspiracies he was trying to spin than anything else that's true. possibly could <laughs> that's true yeah he's uh, so okay so i vaguely saw this and did he yeah. claim that his like partner in crime yes, Jack whatever, Berkman. Yep. he was like 
wearing a bald, bald cap, right? <laughs> he was like, oh, he's lost all his hair. Jack's not doing too good. But like th- his evidence for this was just him in a bald cap. Is that right? Yes, Have I made they that claim up? Okay, that cool, Jack right. was on a hunger strike because of the criminal charges they are facing for the crimes they awesome. very, very obviously did commit because, again, they are fucking incompetent. Yeah. They yeah, did yeah, fake yeah. robocalls targeted to black people in swing states. I don't remember. It might have been Wisconsin or Michigan. I don't remember which. Um, telling them that the election was on Wednesday. Oh, yeah. That's very illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very bad. And among a host of other things they did. And they used... Jack Berkman's home phone to do this. His home phone. And he tried to... So they very obviously did this. There's a whole lot of evidence showing that they did this. They're going to be convicted. They face... They probably won't get the, I think, 15 years, which is the maximum. And I never am in favor of anyone getting the maximum that they could face. That's just how I am as a lawyer. Uh, But they're going to spend some time in in jail or prison, most likely. (laughs) Um, And so Jack Berkman pretended to be on a hunger strike. Claimed he had lost all of his hair, and yes, went on and did a a interview wearing <laughs> the worst bald cap I had ever seen. That's and, extremely funny. Like, oh, that, you can that see is his hair through it. Yeah, you can see so, his like, hair. Also, like it's Zoom. It. Just do a do a fucking like. Don't go sorry, on video. video's not Turn working. Video off. Yeah. Oh, sorry, <laughs> couldn't do it. Yeah, or you know, hey, maybe there's a bald filter you can put on on yeah, Zoom. I don't know about something that. Something like that. Yeah, and so then they had, you know, they love to do these press conferences thing, and they do. Report, reporters just show up because, hey, it's, it's an funny. easy Why Saturday. Yes, exactly. So usually, like Will Sommer will show up because he knows these people, and it's sort of his beat. Uh, he didn't. I don't think he showed up this time, but somebody else didn't cover it. And basically, uh, Jacob rolled Berkman to the door in a wheelchair, where he's just wearing a hoodie, and the reporters could very clearly see that he still had hair. <laughs> he did not lose all of his hair. And then no. they asked, they asked Jacob after he like. Went outside taking the dogs for a walk. For what reason? Who the fuck knows? Uh, And he was like, "Uh, well, what happened with the bald cap? Why did he do that? And Jacob said, well, he hadn't lost all his hair yet, but he thought it would be better if he had. (laughs) (laughs) It's a better narrative if he has. Yeah, Yeah. I mean... He's not wrong, to be fair. Like, Oh, my God. And I think the claim that Berkman is making is that his diet has been restricted to just Perrier and lemon. I Perrier? think that's what he claimed. In... His lo- yes, okay. I think that's what he claimed his hunger strike is. <laughs> <laughs> He's not on a fucking hunger strike. I guarantee it. This is all a fucking lie and an attempt at a con, and it's just so precious. I another, love it so much. Another attempt at a con. Here we go Oh, again. I just love just... it so much. Just let these people keep doing it. Please. Please. I will contact the judge myself and ask for clemency just so they can keep doing this. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It does just, yeah, it it is just, uh, makes it more ridiculous, I would say. I mean, there is a sincere possibility. I would not completely uh, eliminate that they are the world's greatest performance artists. There There is a possibility that that's what this is, and I would be so excited if that was the case. Yeah, it's not impossible, certainly. <laughs> improbable, perhaps. Yeah, well, I don't even know if it's improbable. I mean, it, it's the best bit that there has ever been, I think. It really if it, is. If it, if it, if it, it really is a bit. Is. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, anyways, Benelik, why don't we move on a little bit of housekeeping this week. First off, remember to rate and review us on the iTunes uh, and uh, the other places. And, and uh, I think there's some things also out there. Yeah, there sure. are. Yeah. And people should do it. Yeah, you should. Uh, and of course, I should mention right off the top that we are now available on Samsung Podcasts, Player oh, FM, iHeartRadio, and Benedict, we are on Pandora Radio. We have hit the big time. Okay. Button. Does anyone still use Pandora? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Also, to be fair, I don't know if we were not on those before, right. but I know that recently uh, our podcast platform that we use gave me an option to do a one-click ad to get on those platforms. Okay. So, so now I know we are for sure. If you wanna, if you wanna listen to that, that's fine. Um. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen, which is terrible, of course. Uh, and, yeah, and uh, I, every day I regret not doing Ben YGBC, but, <laughs> which really would have been so have. much better. Couple of updates going on this week, and honestly, I can make a whole episode out of the meat of these updates this week. But first off, uh, I mentioned I was going to put that Sovereign Citizen license plate out for people to see. That is uh, the image for the episode on our show website, nygbcpod.com. You can go check it out there. Uh, third, we just never mentioned it, and we really should, uh, that Maddie Cawthorn lost his primary. Oh, we never mentioned that? How do we, we never, not talk about that? I That's don't fun. know. I don't know how. We just didn't. He's one of our boys, and we just never mentioned it. I, <laughs> one for of one, the lads. am so excited for what comes next in his life. I think it's going to be uh, a whole lot of fun, whatever it may be. And, of course, we know that... Um, Marjo is here to stay, so we're, yeah, we're I not mean, getting rid I, of her. I don't think there was ever any doubt about that, right? No, she, no, she's there not wasn't. done enough to to piss off the Republican establishment. To God, you would think so. You would think she had. You would but, hope, but mm, no. Yeah. Uh, another update. Uh, something that occurred to me, and uh, I do want to give credit to uh, Dan over at Knowledge Fight for uh, sort of sparking this in me because he talked about this in the Alex Jones context. But the use of all these funny names and, you know, phrases that people like Mark Levin will use for people they hate, uh, function as epithets in the way that uh, they did for, you know, in the Iliad Homeric Odyssey. Bards. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. in that sense. I knew you were going to understand what I meant <laughs> as soon as I came up. In the way that uh, it was rage-filled Achilles, right? Mm. It's a way, A, for the speaker to have a quick heuristic to uh, remember what they're talking about, and B, for the audience to understand how they should feel about the person being spoken of. So, just wanted to point that out, that uh, I think that's a part, I don't think Mark Levin is doing that on purpose, but I think that's just sort of the way that Yeah, but it's uh, a trick of the trade, I think. I, I, I don't think that's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Next, um, I've done a bunch of looking into Tucker Carlson lately, mm. because I think Benedict and I have sort of decided that we have to do him next. Um, he is the most dangerous human being on the planet, bar none, uh, and the most powerful uh, <laughs> within right-wing politics. Uh, for Fuck Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson. I mean, Tucker Carlson was setting Donald Trump's agenda, right? So he's the most dangerous, the most powerful. We have to talk about him. And because of that, I've been you know paying more attention. Um, I've been listening to shows that cover him. Uh, I think some of our listeners are also fans of the Tuckered Out podcast, which I'm. when we get to it, I'm going to invite those guys on to talk about Tucker a little bit. But I have noticed that Tucker Carlson is openly engaging in third positionism, right? Which is is a faux anti-corporatism where he has no opposition to laissez-faire capitalism, except for mm -hmm. uh, enforcement of strict conservative social norms on the corporations that he disfavors, which, i.e., you know, fascism. 
mm-hmm. with a concerted effort to attract the sort of disaffected Bernie bro by pointing to Trump's empty rhetoric that was reminiscent of the things Bernie was saying, but, you know, Trump never followed through on any of those. None of that. no intention yeah, yeah, of ever yeah, doing it's... any of it. Um, combining that with an extreme focus on the children, our children. Think about the children, yeah. And the family, and restoring the family as the center of life. The, the Volk, if you will. No. Oh. Uh, <laughs> okay. And it's because... The right-wing solution to the problems of capitalism is fascism, right? That The right-wing solution mm. to capitalism is fascism. Um, and some guy I heard on Tucker, and this is when I was listening to uh, the Tuckered Out podcast. I want to give them credit. Um, I heard him on, on Tucker's show saying that Marx had the right view of the problem, even if his solutions were wrong. And yeah, that, a lot of people say that. Yeah, yeah. And he said that Marxism was not correct and went on to say that obviously capitalism was bad for society because, for example, it put more women into the workplace than ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the diverging point for us with that fascist who he had on his show uh, is that, you know, for us, uh, we believe that women should be able to do what they want, but that the forces of capitalism that force women into labor against their will and to their detriment and low-wage jobs is bad. Mm-hmm. His problem is that women are in the workplace and not at home making those volkish babies, right? Mm, yeah, I can see that. And we've seen some of these people on the crypto-fascist right uh, who are in favor of things like direct cash assistance during COVID or even ongoing outside of COVID. Mm-hmm. Not because they believe in a guaranteed minimum income or that the you know people have a right to certain basic necessities like food or housing, but because they believe it would allow women to stay home and return to that idealized 1950s that never existed, where everyone had a single-parent income, supporting mm. a big house in the suburbs, and their white Christian youth out there playing stickball and all that great stick stuff. Ball. <laughs> you know, it's it's a male-dominated, misogynist society that they want, and these things would support that for them. Uh, and this is why they get so deep into transphobia, right? Where they scream mm. about castration and cuck became their insult of choice. Because they're obsessed with this bullshit uh, masculine fascism, misogy fascism, if you will. Mm. I need a better term for that. Um, I heard one of these guys using the term psychosexual ethnomasochism is how they described people acknowledging racism in the wake of the George Floyd murder, right? I could spend an hour alone just dissecting that phrase and how it applies to our current situation. Mm -hmm. But So I wanted to put that out there because... I am seeing so much in Tucker Carlson that is, it is open fascism. It is open fascism he is supporting. That is what is controlling the right wing right now. I think most people know that already, but it is fucking scary. Um, And I just, I could not not talk about what I was seeing over the last few weeks as I've been paying closer attention to Tucker Carlson. I was just so bothered by what this fuck I was seeing. Yeah, it's not great. No, it's not. No, no, it's really not. Uh, quick other two updates. Uh, first, Bendik said on a previous episode that history is not objective. Uh, and I want to correct that so as to not allow the shithead right-wingers who may listen to us to sneer at it and discount it. History is objective. Event A happened on Y date, and persons B and C were there. But the narrative of history is not objective, right? Sure. People, after the fact, determine what they want that history to mean. And that is what we mean when we say that history is not objective. Yeah, I still think history is not objective. I mean, <laughs> like, that, that, sure. I mean, yeah, I know what you mean, but, like, I'd stand by what I said, honestly. Like, it's not like saying maths, you know, whatever. It's fine. 
Sure. I'm not going to. Hey, you're allowed to say what you. We have a free speech policy on yeah, this exactly. program. <laughs> except for all those times you make me edit things out of the show that I have said. Uh, last update before we just move on. I did a bad job of explaining CRT in our episode where that came up, um, and we need to do a full episode on that at some point. But for now, the one thing I wish I could have pointed out uh, is that CRT rejects the Marxist idea of economic status as determinative, determinative, and likewise uh, of race as determinative. Rather, CRT scholars view law as creating racial categories and criteria and assigning meaning to those that is in turn reflective of and perpetuate societal biases. And also, I think I didn't stress this enough, 99 fucking percent of what they claim CRT is is not fucking CRT. I just wanted to get that out there just as a slight bit of clarification. Now, I told you I could make an entire episode just out of my notes this week on the update (laughs) section. Before we get to that, at the end of our last episode, we mentioned that we had missed uh, someone who was inducted into the spooky world, New World Order, so we need to do that up top. Starshark, you are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. And thank you oh so very much. Of course, if you want to become part of the Spooky World New World Order, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommending it to others, send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, send me some short, sort of proof, become a patron, or just get my attention with something good, and you'll become a part of a Spooky World New World Order. All that out of the way this week, Benedict, we can finally get started with our topic for today, which Amazing. you... Let's and people who have read the episode title before clicking play know is the lost cause of the Confederacy and the Neo-Confederates. Okay. I have not yet come up with a funny episode title that, for this I, one. There's yet. nothing funny about any of that. So. <laughs> I, well, I think I call it the last uh, episode about, uh, not the last episode, but the episode about the uh, tax protesters and sovereign citizens. This episode does not consent to contract. So I think I got to try and come up with at least smart episode titles for these. Yeah, I mean, smart, you know, whatever. We'll do what yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah, throw your sarcasm at it, asshole. <laughs> Anyways, Benedict, for people like you and me, rational, modern-day men of average or above-average intelligence, the Civil War started on April 12th, 1861, when traitorous, dishonorable Confederate soldiers at the orders of traitor Jefferson Davis bombarded Fort Sumter, which sits in the middle of the harbor in Charleston, South Carolina. What followed was four years and 27 days of war between a non-traitorous, although admittedly imperfect North, and a traitorous, dirty, morally bankrupt South. But for many in the years following the war, and even to this day, the story goes something a little bit different. So what you're telling me is history is not objective? Mmm, Benedict. You see, for some, (laughs) it was a blissful time. One of magnolias and mint juleps on the porch in the height of summertime when the sun's hotter than a jackrabbit's uncle on a Tuesday. <laughs> All them there Southerners just enjoying their okay, life and not bothering nobody. You need to, stop doing, nobody, you need to no immediately stop doing the accent. That's when it. That's enough. All of a sudden, in comes them evil boys from up on north who couldn't tell a holler from a hole and calamity ensued. Man was separated from his property and oh, the fire and flames as if evil northerners marched ever so relentlessly towards their goal of subjugating the noble southerner. And right. <laughs> we've established I can't do a Scottish accent on this Yeah, show. and I, think I get to do southern as much as I want. Accent, yeah. <laughs> Again, as a show of where our stories diverge, for people like you and me, the Civil War ended uh, in May 1865 at the courthouse in Appomattox, Virginia, when Robert E. Lee, the traitorous slaveholding loser who surrendered, 
Um, by giving the giving Ulysses S. Grant his sword, which is yes. like the most humiliating <laughs> way to surrender. Like I know that's what they used to do, but that's so upsetting. Yes, you're correct. He surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant, who had chased him there and surrounded the courthouse where he and his troops were. Um, you know, he Ulysses S. Grant, the future president of the United States, the non-traitorous uh, slave freeing general who won the war and who, this is true, had a gigantic penis which dwarfed the size of Lee's and every other Southern loser. <laughs> Yeah, fun fact. But for another type of person, a dumber person, a simple-minded, shit-kicking, racist loser type of person, the Civil War never quite ended. The lost cause of the Confederacy isn't just about the loss of the Civil War, as its name implies. It's about a concerted effort to rewrite the narrative history of the war. You see why I needed to include that update at the beginning sure. of this show? You see why that was important? Yeah. How it started, why it went the way it did, and most importantly, the underlying reasons for the war, and the supposed noble cause, the lost causers claim, as opposed to the reality that they were just fighting for slavery. The attempt to rewrite the Civil War what we might consider the first big period of the Lost Cause narrative, came, of course, in the immediate years following the Civil War. And in the years following the Civil War, the South was devastated, right? You may recall uh, that the superior, victorious, non-traitorous Northern armies had marched through the South and burned large swaths of it to the ground. At the same time, because of the Emancipation Proclamation and the freeing of the formerly enslaved people that the war was fought over, the South was deprived of its forced labor workforce. Mm Mm-hmm. And in situations as dire and depressing as that, it's not that surprising that many people would try to come up with some sort of false also, narrative to soothe their minds. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you have this later, but important to note that um, they were allowed to rejoin the Union on quite generous terms. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In a just world, and this is me saying this as someone who's entirely against the death penalty, Jefferson Davis would have been hanged in public. Right, that's... Given given the times, <laughs> yeah, sure. Given the times, maybe I'd even allow for it today, given that he was a traitor who tore the country in half and fought a war to maintain slavery. I am very limited on my view of when the death penalty would be allowed, but mm. maybe that's a circumstance in which I would not have a huge problem with it, I gotta say. Just a slight possibility there. But... You know, like I said, they had to soothe their minds somehow, and of course, many would probably like to also be able to pretend that they didn't just fight a war entirely to maintain slavery and white supremacy. So before we deal with the false narrative of the lost cause, we might as well be, you know, we'd be well served to take a moment and deal with the reality of the Civil War, which is, it was fought over slavery, period. Oh, yeah. Uh, As said by Alexander, uh, sorry, the, the Alexander Hamilton Stevens in his Cornerstone speech, in which we can often cite as saying the backbone, or the, literally the cornerstone. Benedict, do you really think I don't have it two bullets down in my notes? No, but I'm just showing that I quote. don't have to do research <laughs> to know this stuff. I'm smart. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, In the middle of the 1800s, right, the U.S. was in turmoil over what to do about slavery. Uh, Some were correct on this issue, uh, that slavery had to be abolished for moral as well as practical reasons. Uh, Some were ambivalent and didn't really care so long as slavery didn't impact them. The sort of free soilers are among that group. And and then some were the South. Uh, the issue of westward expansion and whether new states would be slave or free caused such conflicts as the bleeding Kansas guerrilla mm-hmm. warfare in the 1850s, a uh, similar conflict over whether slavery would exist in the new U.S. territories, like those obtained through the Mexican-American War, led to legislative conflict over whether the territories would be free or slave. Another was the anger of southern states that northern ones refused to enforce the Fugitive Slave Act, 
and in some cases actively assisted in the flight of slaves or in arresting vigilante slave hunters who went north to track down freed people. Of course, some might say this was an issue of states' rights, mm. perhaps, maybe, maybe a thing. And of course, the final trigger for secession was the election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860. The South didn't necessarily fear that Lincoln would free their slaves, but that he would end the expansion of slavery into the new states and begin the end of slavery in the United States. And we talked before, I think, about how Lincoln was sort of ambivalent on the issue of whether or not, you know, to free the slaves. I think the one, the, I forget, I didn't put it in my notes, but one of the letters he wrote to somebody was the one where he said, if, uh, if I could keep the Union to, uh, whole by freeing all the slaves, if I would do it, if I could keep the Union whole, by freeing some of some of the slaves and leaving others yeah, in slavery. Yeah, he cared about the it. union, but then right. did good things as a he result. He was probably on the right-ish side of the slavery issue, right? He wasn't a hundred percent because obviously we've said before, you know, in a world where there are people like you know, pick your fighter, uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin back in the founding <laughs> of the country, who were absolutely <laughs> Frederick Douglass, like. <laughs> right? You're not allowed to point Fair, to people who are, are not as good and say that they were the real heroes, right? But I think most people acknowledge Abraham Lincoln as, you know, one of our better presidents, especially for his time period. I think we can all go with that. I don't see a huge problem with it. No. But if you need further proof that uh, this is really all about slavery, I would point to, as Benedict mentioned, the March 21st, 1861 speech given by Alexander Stevens, vice president of the Confederacy, in which he stated about secession and the Confederacy, quote, its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery, subordination to the superior race, is his natural condition. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. And then also in that speech, our confederacy is, confounded, is founded upon principles in strict conformity with these laws. This stone, which was rejected by the first builders, is become the chief of the corner, the real cornerstone in our new edifice. Obviously, mm -hmm. that is why it was named the Cornerstone Speech, because apparently he really liked that metaphor and kept digging back to it. Uh, you could also, of course, look to all the declarations of secession of all the states which seceded and which speak extensively about slavery and almost no other grievances that anyone could possibly take seriously, because obviously this is about fucking slavery. Or... Mm -hmm you could look at the 1861 Constitution of Texas, which contains as Article 8, quote, Section 1. The legislature shall have no power to pass laws for the emancipation of slaves. Section 2. No citizen or other person residing in this state shall have power by deed or will to take effect in this state or out of it in any manner whatsoever, directly or indirectly, to emancipate his slave or slaves. It actually banned emancipation yeah. in the Texas Constitution. That says quite a lot, you doesn't it? You were unable to free a slave in or outside of the state. You just could not if you were a citizen of Texas. Yeah, that says Sec quite a lot, doesn't it? I mean it does. Section 3, the legislature shall have no power to pass any law to prevent immigrants to this state from bringing with them such persons of the Negro race as are deemed slaves by the laws of any of the Confederate states of America, provided that the slaves who have committed any felony may be excluded from this state. Section 4. In the prosecution of slaves for crimes of a higher grade than petty larceny, the legislature shall have no power to deprive them of a trial by jury, except in cases arising under the laws concerning insurrection of slaves. 
Isn't that nice? They get a trial. I'm sure that trial was so fair. I'm sure it was Super so fair. fair. Yeah, for sure. Section 5. Any person who shall maliciously dismember or deprive a slave of life shall suffer such punishment as be inflicted in the case like offense had been committed upon a free white person and on the like proof. Except... When such slave has committed or attempted to commit a rape on a white female mm. or in case of insurrection of such slave. Yeah, isn't that great that that's included? And section six, the legislature shall have power to pass laws which will oblige the owner of slaves to treat them with humanity. End of article eight, the Texas Constitution. Isn't that just great, Benedict? Yeah. Isn't that yeah. just great? Fundamentally. It is funny to me a little bit that the same people who will scream that the U.S. Constitution doesn't say anything about slaves, it's a great freedom document, are the same sort of people who would say the South was just fighting for states' rights. <laughs> and then they Again, put in their Constitution. What do you want the states' rights for, motherfucker? <laughs> they put in their Constitution all this stuff about slavery. So... Lot of, it's a circle. It's a circle, Benedict. It's not, yeah, it's not crossover. A it's a circle. But all the facts aside, uh, that wasn't enough to prove to any loyal Southerner that they had fought the war for the reasons that they knew they had fought it for or that they deserved the outcome they had got or that black people were human beings or any of, you know, the things. And they pretty immediately embarked on trying to reimagine their own history. Uh, some of the people who themselves had participated in the war and the secession were the earliest to try to justify their actions with new false narratives. Uh, Jefferson Davis wrote a two-volume defense of the Southern cause entitled, quote, The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government. I, I, and that's the, I mean, that's the that's the founding document of the Lost Cause, right? Pretty much. Sort of is. There's another one I'll talk about in a moment, which is actually where the term Lost Cause comes from. But yes, very much they rely on this absolute bullshit treatise by Davis to try and justify all their nonsense. He wrote in that, for example, quote, uh, well, he, of course, I should just, he, in that he blamed the North for, quote, whatever a bloodshed of devastation or shock to Republican government has resulted from the war, and claimed that them damn Yankees fought, quote, with a ferocity that disregarded all the laws of civilized warfare. <laughs> so oh. they were too mean to us. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Yes, yes, of course. I mean, they did uh, uh, march south and burn Atlanta, which, by the way, is my northern heritage, not hate. So I, I uh, maintain the right to burn any southern property that I, uh, that I wish. Uh, he also wrote in that book later, quote, The Negroes' servile instincts rendered them contented with their lot, and their patient toil blessed the land of their abode with unmeasured riches. Their strong local and personal attachment secured faithful service. Never was there happier dependence of labor and capital on each other. The tempter came like the serpent of Eden, Eden and decoyed them with the magic word of freedom, which is in scare quotes, Benedict. Freedom is in scare quotes. <laughs> he put arms in their hands and trained their humble but emotional natures to deeds of violence and bloodshed and sent them out to devastate their benefactors. Isn't that just... Gross. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another um, traitorous syphilitic Confederate general, Jubal A. Early, wrote a series of articles for the Southern Historical Society in the 1870s that, of course, lionized the Southern cause. But the term lost cause itself first appeared in the title of an 1866 book by Virginian Edward A. Pollard titled The Lost Cause, A New Southern History of the War of the Confederates. Okay. That book obviously denied slavery as a cause of the war. It actually said it was a way of improving the lives of Africans. <clears throat> Quote, 
We shall not enter upon the discussion of the moral question of slavery, but we may suggest a doubt here whether the odious term slavery, in scare quotes, which has been so long imposed by the exaggeration of northern writers upon the judgment and sympathies of the world, is properly applied to that system of servitude in the South, which was really the mildest in the world, which did not rest on acts of debasement and disenfranchisement. Sorry, the mildest in the world? Yeah, because <laughs> everyone else had got rid of it by then, apart from Brazil. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, Jane, really, oh, like, by the, the way, the mildest one out of two. Even like, compared to other forms, objectively one of the worst in the world, right? Yeah, the, objectively I mean, one it, of the it, worst. It, there's an, David Blight's written interestingly on this on like the the six five it's either five or six slave societies. It's like ancient Greece, ancient Rome, Brazil, the U.S. South, and the yeah. Caribbean. Um, and like it's one of the five slave societies by definition, like whose backbone was built on slavery. So I mean, right. come on. And um, the difference we talked before about like, the difference between chattel slavery and you know other forms of slavery. I mean, people always point to like the Romans and the slaves of the Greeks or the Romans. Like they had opportunities to like you know get out of slavery. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, kind. I mean, it, it, it certainly wasn't race based anyway. Like, yeah, that's... it certainly wasn't. It certainly wasn't. Um, and there's a big difference, I would say, you know, I don't think morally so much, but there's a difference uh, just functionally uh, between that sort of race based slavery and what was the, the norm in other societies, which is slaves taken by war, mm-hmm. right? Where it's sort of like spoils of war. Still obviously wrong, but there's a huge difference that we have seen obviously continued throughout society after slavery was officially eliminated based on the fact that we created that system of race-based slavery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Continuing, he says, quote, but elevated the African and was in the interest of human improvement and which by the law of the land protected the Negro in life and limb and in many personal rights and by the practice of the system bestowed upon him a sum of individual indulgences which made him altogether the most striking type in the world of cheerfulness and contentment. (laughs) Disgusting. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But there were, it should be noted, Basically, two larger periods of lost cause narrative um, formulation or, or activity, if you will. Uh, and obviously, we can understand that those who caused the war were trying to pretend that they didn't do what they did. That's just lying to yourself. We do that all the time. We all do it. But other than the you know 2016 to 2019 period when Republicans desperately needed an issue for their white supremacist base to rally around, there have been two big periods of lost cause activity in let's history. guess when they were yes the first was around does the it turn- does it happen to line up with when the kkk was super active mm, perhaps it does the first is around the turn of the century when the living civil war veterans were dying off and politicians as well as family members were trying to keep alive the memory and uh, glamorize the exploits of the confederate soldiers so yes benedict 1900 ish to 1920 ish is, uh, in fact, that time, and as we talked about in one of our previous episodes, that is the time that the second clan was born and and had its biggest periods of activity, not mm. surprisingly. Uh, it's around this time you see the first explosion of monuments to the Confederacy going up in the South. And I will, in the show notes, link to, I think uh, the SPLC has the good chart that shows the monuments that they've tracked that they know of, and when they were put up, when they, you know, other things as well, we'll talk about in a moment, but... Um, I will link that so you can go look at it if you want, but you can see massive spike, massive spike around this time, you know, 1900 to like 1920-ish, just incredibly large, and it definitely correlates with with all this activity going on. 
One of the people involved, uh, Moses Jacob Ezekiel, was one of the most well-known sculptors of Confederate monuments who himself had actually fought for the Confederacy and whose most prolific period was from the early 1900s through about the 19-teens. Uh, he crafted a statue called Virginia Mourning Her Dead, which is at the Virginia Military Institute, still is there to this day. A statue of Stonewall Jackson for the West Virginia State Capitol, which I believe is still there to this day. And the Confederate Memorial at Arlington Cemetery, which contains depictions of what he called, quote, faithful black servants, and which should be melted the fuck down. Yeah. That should not fucking exist. It's disgusting. Of course, this was also the time of Thomas Dixon's fame, the author of the book The Klansman, which Birth of a Nation was based on. We talked about that in a previous episode as well. And I had said then, I think, that we were going to talk more about Dixon and Birth of a Nation at a, pre at a later time. And I think we talked about it a good amount already. But it ties into a lot of sort of these topics we're going to be talking about today a little more. Um, one of the things I think I pointed out previously, and which I do want to stress, is sort of the emphasis on protecting white womanhood, mm -hmm. which was sort of pretended to be the purpose of the Klan. It absolutely fucking wasn't the purpose of the Klan, but that was one of the justifications that they had, right? So mm -hmm. in the movie Birth of a Nation, some of the most, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if iconic is the word, but memorable scenes are those in which uh, the black characters are leering at white women, mm -hmm. right? Uh, one of this happens in the state capitol. Certainly the, some of the most propagandistic and repeated imagery. Absolutely, right? In the, the state capitol, uh, uh, some of the characters have been elected. They're black uh, legislators who have been elected. They're eating fried chicken and watermelon on the floor of the, the legislature and leering at white women who are out there in the, the rappers. And I should note that some of the, the most vitriol for characters in that movie is for people who are of mixed race, right? So there are several characters, I think two or three that I can think of off the top of my head in that movie and in the book who are mixed race people. And one of them is a uh, an aide to the senator who is supposed to represent Thaddeus Stevens. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, uh, there's a moment where the senator who has been, you know, he's all supportive of this, this mixed race gentleman who he has uh, had as his aide and everything, um, he finds out, I think, that, uh, or I don't remember if that was the case, but uh, there's something about that guy wanting to marry the daughter of this senator. And all of a sudden, that guy is now, he's, he's all against it, because that's probably pretty realistic as far yep. as, you know, these people would be all supportive of equality until something occurs that affects them in their own personal lives. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, yeah. It's a very, it's a very uh, white supremacist viewpoint. Yeah, I mean, also yeah. interesting to point out that in the movie, um, a there are a lot of actual uh, African-American actors who are in the movie. The, for all the characters who are actually, you know, African-American, the the black pay blackface actors are the people who are supposedly of mixed race. Oh, so interesting. in that movie, when people are mixed race, and those are people who have like I guess larger roles, um, those are the people who are acting wearing blackface. It's really, I don't recommend watching the movie unless you're really interested in this sort of thing. Or it's definitely better than reading the fucking book because I I do own the book and it's a slog to get through. It's not a well written book. But it is all 100% pushing this lost cause narrative. That's what it's all about. There's no mm -hmm. mistaking that. Because it is glorifying the cause of the South. It is glorifying the Ku Klux Klan. All that sort of stuff. And as we've said before, the movie, the book, the play are very important in what helped to spark the rebirth of the Ku Klux Klan uh, in the early 1910s. So... 
One of the groups most responsible for pushing forward the Gloss Cause narrative uh, is the United Daughters of the Confederacy, mm-hmm. as well as the men's corollary, the Sons of Confederate Veterans. These I feel like the United Daughters have more of a reputation, right, as the... Yes, well, both of these groups still exist, but the United Daughters, I would say, are the ones who had more of a hand in constructing all these Confederate monuments, and which, I don't know... It, might still be more active today. You know how every neighborhood, well, you, you might not because you haven't lived here all that long. Uh, in the U.S., if you just drive out in the country somewhere, you will pass by roadside signs that are like, this stretch of highway uh, yeah, sponsored yeah, was, by yeah, yeah, the yeah, local yeah. Rotary Club and sponsored by, you know, this, that, and the other, which are like these groups for older people to join where, you know, they give out a $5,000 scholarship to some local kid in the community and they, you know, do all this stuff. They're really disconnected from the local community because it's a mm-hmm. certain type of people that joins that, and they're not, they're not actually all that great type of organizations in my experience. I'm sure there's some that are wonderful. But in the South, you will see, like, the local United Daughters of the Confederacy chapter mm. is the sort of people doing that sort of thing. So they have that similar sort of cause. Um, and there is a really, I, I should, I want to plug, uh, there's a podcast by the Southern Poverty Law Center called Sounds Like Hate. Um, it's, it, they only do like eight episodes a, a season or whatever they do, but it's very well done and they've covered some very interesting topics. Um, and one of them, one of the producers on the show, I believe, found out that she had a Confederate uh, relative, which made her eligible to go join the United Daughters of the Confederacy. And so she managed to get some interviews with these people uh, who are in the group, and she, you know, was trying to ask the difficult questions, and it's just like these, you know, 70-year-old ladies going, well, we we help people look into their genealogies and find out <laughs> if they have any, because they don't want to address the difficult issues that we know are really what this is all about, right? These are people, you know, the old people who run these sorts of organizations, think about it, you know, Ruby Bridges is only in her 60s, these are the people who were standing there screaming at her as she had to be yeah. escorted into school by federal marshals, right? Those are the sort of people who today are running these sorts of groups. And obviously, back then, they weren't any better. No. <laughs> but, as in their name, many of the early members of the groups were actual daughters or even wives of Confederate veterans. And it should be noted, as I said earlier, how the myth of white womanhood played into the Lost Cause narrative I think that has a lot to say for why groups like the UDC, uh, and UDC is probably the, the large, it's definitely the largest one, uh, why they played such a huge cause, uh, such a huge part in pushing forward the lost cause narrative. I think there's definitely a connection there. Uh, but uh, the war, the use of racial terror against African Americans after the war and the entire enterprise are often justified in terms of protecting the sanctity of mm-hmm. white women in the South from blacks. And... There was this podcast I used to listen to. This is like five or six years ago. It was just like some dude who did like 20-minute episodes about history or some shit, right? He said he was a history professor. I have no idea if that's true or not. Um, and the point where I stopped, and he was the guy who like, I kept getting this vibe like, this guy's a conservative. I could tell the way he's <laughs> he's painting his narrative. I could tell. Uh, and I was like, But he was still well enough done that I was like, eh, it's 15 minutes out of my week. I'll, I'll listen to this shit. Um, and though I stopped listening to that show, and I don't even remember the name of it anymore, when he had on a guy who was just an apologist 
for the Ku Klux Klan and Nathan Bedford Forrest, mm. who was just like, and he went off on this whole, well, you know, it was to protect the South from the newly freed slaves who were out there, you know, crime rates skyrocketed, and white women weren't safe on the streets. It's like, oh, you're just a fucking white supremacist. Yep. That's all you are, because you're sitting here letting this guy talk and not challenging him at all. You're fucking disgusting. So that, you know, People are still okay. pushing that sort of stuff, obviously. Uh, but the UDC, the United Daughters of Confederacy, was the primary group organizing, fundraising, and funding the building of Confederate monuments and historical sites, creating books, magazines, pamphlets, and other sources that promoted the Lost Cause narrative, and still do to this day. Uh, like I said, all you have to do to pr- join is prove you have an ancestor who was a Confederate veteran. So, if any of our listeners out there want to go join... You know what? If you were to do it, if there was a way to do it without giving them money, I don't know if they have membership fees, but if you could go do it and, I don't know, find me some fucked up pamphlet <laughs> that I could have, I'd be all for it. Um, but the second major period of Lost Cause promotion was, of course, the Civil Rights Era. And it shouldn't be ignored that the UDC also, between the first and second periods that we talked about, venerated the Klan, even mm. sort, of, sort of serving as a uh, public But When you say venerated, what do, you, how, what do we say? I about? mean, as late as 1936, the United Daughters of the Confederacy published articles in its official publication talking about how important the Klan was to protecting the South in mm. the Reconstruction period. Yeah. yeah Not great. Not great. Uh, But during the Civil Rights era, of course, uh, the erection of Confederate statues, promotion of the lost cause, had a lot more to do with opposition to civil rights than it did, we could even argue, with that earlier sort of, you know, veneration of uh, Pop Pop, who was dying off in 1910, long after the Civil War, who had managed to stay alive that long. Mm -hmm. Uh, The lost cause was promoted in official and unofficial ways, right? Monuments could go up on public or private land. Uh, scholarships, grants, other monetary remembrances were made by both states and private persons. And sometimes the attempt to promote Southern glory was all too obvious. While many states maintained some sort of Confederate battle flag from the Civil War onwards, mm-hmm. some, like Georgia, which already had a flag which I call reminiscent of the Confederate national flag, which I should also clarify. What we call the Confederate flag, colloquially. The Confederate battle flag, right? The battle flag, exactly. Yeah. The stars and bars, right? That The St. Andrew's Cross with the stars inside. That is what was flown into battle. And I think it was just like one, that was just the most popular one. There were many different flags. People were really into flags in the past. I don't know if you know this. That's true, yeah. Flags were sort of a thing. Um, and so that's just the one that remained the most popular long afterwards. The Confederate national flag, uh, the flag of the traitors, was like a round symbol on the left-hand side and then three stripes going to the right with of red and blue. I don't, remember it was, I don't remember it was two blue and one red or two red and one blue. I don't remember which way it was, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me. But the Georgia flag looked very much like that national flag of the Confederacy. Um, but in 1956, Benedict two years after Brown v. Board, mm. uh, the state changed their flag to add the Confederate battle flag to the Georgia state flag, where it remained until 2003, when a statewide referendum voted to change the flag to a Confederate flagless version by 70%. 70% of people voted to get rid of the Confederate flag on the Georgia state flag. And I think 
that is astonishing to me because mm-hmm. if you redid that vote today, you would yeah, get Yeah, I'm not bare- sure that would be the same result. <laughs> barely 50%, I think. Barely 50%. Uh, I don't know. We have two Democratic senators from Georgia. Like, I don't Well, know. they won by barely 50%. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what did they get? Like 50.8%? So maybe you'd get that. Maybe you'd be lucky enough to win on a referendum for that, but I'm not sure. And the point I make, the, the, the point I want to make with that is, I think we often don't pay enough attention to how far we have backslid. Yeah, that's the that's very true. Actually, that's I mean, since fucking Reconstruction, let's be honest. Like. <laughs> also true, right? But like you know, uh, there was when you pay a lot of attention to this sort of stuff, uh, a very, very, very different ideology in the early 2000s. And we all know that the Republican Party is radicalized. That's that's nothing new. We all know about that. But the fact you could get 70% in 2001, and now one of the biggest causes of the Republican Party is keeping up Confederate monuments and keeping Confederate flags where they still are. That is one of their biggest policy platforms because they don't have any others, right? I mean, they, they don't have any other policy mm-hmm. ideas to speak of. But that's one of them. Donald Trump, the de facto leader of the Republican Party, has repeatedly spoken and made it one of his, you know, cornerstones of his speeches that Confederate flags and Confederate statues should be maintained. They're trying to take away your history is Mm -hmm. a line that I remember from a great number of his speeches that I have unfortunately had to hear. So it's just uh, keep that in mind. We have definitely backslid and it's... Mm -hmm. Scary. It's really fucking scary. But also, of course, uh, education in the southern states. Uh, distorted students' views of the war for hundreds of years, and of course, still to this very day. And mm-hmm. not surprisingly, we've seen a number of attempts to attack so-called critical race theory in these southern states, when that critical race theory they're complaining about is just accurate accountings of history involving the Civil War and slavery. That mm-hmm. is very much what they're against. But for one example, a textbook titled Virginia History, Government, Geography, which was used in Virginia schools through the late 1970s, contains such gems as, quote, most masters did not want to punish their slaves severely. Whipping was the usual method of punishing disobedient Negroes. In those days, whipping was also the usual method of correcting children. The planter looked upon his slaves as children and punished them as such. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Describing freed people, it said, quote, Although they were badly needed for work on the farms, many of them refused to work at any price. They thought that freedom from slavery meant freedom from work. They wanted to enjoy freedom in idleness. Okay. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another one. Early in Virginia's history, the General Assembly made laws closely controlling the Negroes. However, the laws were not fully enforced. Many slave masters did not like to have the state government meddle in what they considered their private business. Okay, so which government is allowed small to meddle? Small government, That's the, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's which about government small is allowed government. To <laughs> and finally, a feeling of strong affection existed between masters and slaves in a majority of Virginia homes. Mm. The house servants became almost as much a part of the planter's family circle as its white members. Mm. The Negroes were always present at family weddings. They were allowed to look on at dances and other entertainments. Sorry, they were allowed to look on? Is that what, <laughs> that's the argument? They're allowed to watch. I know. 
A strong tie existed between slave and master because each was dependent on the other. Mm. The slave system demanded that the master care for the slave in childhood, in sickness, and in old age. Yeah. The regard that master and slaves had for each other made plantation life happy and prosperous. Life among the Negroes of Virginia in slavery times was generally happy. The Negroes went about in a cheerful manner, making a living for themselves and for those for whom they worked. But they were not worried by the furious arguments going on between Northerners and Southerners over what should be done with them. In fact, they paid little attention to these arguments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the sort of thing they taught in Virginia in textbooks. Yeah. In textbooks. Uh, and I would, would also point out... Would you say that's racially neutral? I No, I would not. I would not say that was neutral. Uh, I would say that is... If there were an anti-CRT, like a Bizarro World CRT, that would be it. That would be what that is. Uh, teaching just absolute lies about race issues in the United States. Um, I also mentioned that SPLC podcast earlier, and one of the things that that same producer who was born and raised in Texas talked about was how she was taught about Texas and Texas's constitution uh, mm -hmm. back when she grew up you know, going to uh, uh, grade school in the 80s and 90s in Texas. And she was not taught about that Section 8 of the Texas Constitution. No, why would that she? I, I, told I you mean, about. obviously, yeah. Well, no, that was a big sticking point for her that she raised on a phone call with her mother that she recorded and they, they played for the podcast. And, you know, I, I, I really think it's a great show if you want to go listen to it. It's really interesting. Um, but she was very upset over the fact that she had been lied to about mm -hmm. these things. And her mother, who, as far as I can tell, is a you know, pretty staunch far-right conservative, um, just kept telling her, well, you should talk to the people who write those textbooks then. Like, you know... Like, you're not a, a voter in the state of Texas who yeah. helps to decide how these things are, are created and what's taught. Like, yeah. if someone had added that to the textbook, you wouldn't go and scream that it was CRT? Like, it's really, it's really rough. It was really rough to hear this woman talking to her mother and what she was going through and the fact that her, her mother just didn't want to deal with it. Really rough to listen to. But I think worth listening to if you're interested. So, but not surprisingly... Under these sorts of circumstances, a new crop of lost causers would arise, right? Who had been taught that Virginia was so great to the slaves? Uh, who not only believed in this noble cause, but longed for a return to the days of the glorious South. And of course, there are plenty of overweight cousin fuckers with the Confederate flag belt buckle, but I want to focus on those who are a bit more steeped in the actual neo-Confederate thought. Um, of course... Uh, there's a good number of uh, people who want to rebuild the Confederacy, but there's some bigger figures out there in the movement, and you'll be surprised a good number of them have actual legitimate academic credentials, mm -hmm. which probably separates them a bit from the average white supremacist asshole we run across. Although, I should note, we've talked about a number before who do have legitimate academic credentials, right? If you recall, mm -hmm. David Duke is himself a Ph.D., he is. Yeah, you can get a PhD a and still be a shithead, though. Like, right, that's, uh, right. Yeah, I would. That, that's the distinction I would make. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe most people aren't, but like you'll also yeah. recall that William Luther Pierce, author of the Turner Diaries, founder of the white supremacist group, the National Alliance, the neo-Nazi group, I should say, uh, also a PhD. So for some reason, I, I don't know why, but my imagination, and it probably is because I'm still a little bit uh, uh, filled with those conservative uh, lies about what academia is. 
is that no one who has a PhD would be a white supremacist. And I know that's not true, right? There's plenty of them, obviously. We're going to have to do an episode about the intellectual dark web at some point. I mean, Mm. there's no avoiding that. But it is strange, especially when you look at this group, the neo-Confederates, because literally it was founded by a PhD college professor and its entire board and a lot of its membership are other professors. Uh, It's just strange. It's just strange to me. But... The person who founded this group uh, is a guy named J. Michael Hill, who is a history professor formerly at the historically black college Stillman College in Alabama, who was mentored by the primary scholars behind this Anglo-Celtic argument about Southerners in a book they wrote called Cracker Culture. Okay. And that is an interesting thing in and of itself. And I, I don't think we have time to get very deep into that. But the core of the argument is, well... The majority of the people who immigrated to the South and settled the South are from sort of the Scottish or Celtic tradition. And because of that, they got more fiery blood than anyone else. Mm. And they care more about honor. And that's what sets the South... It's a bullshit, stupid fucking argument. It's really, really fucking stupid. You know, but that's what they sort of came up with. And there's a lot of the people in this neo-Confederate area who do believe that sort of thing. And obviously... It's not very surprising that neo-Confederates would be interested in racial determinism. It, I mean, it's, it's really not, but I just found it incredibly interesting that they came up with this whole bullshit academic framework for it. Um, but some of his associates, people who were involved with him, people who uh, helped him found what we're going to be talking about in a moment, the League of the South, people like Thomas DiLorenzo who was an economics professor at Loyola College, which is, yes, that Loyola College, the big university. Uh, He has described Lincoln as a good man, which is not common for people in this area, who was misled by evil advisors who pushed a harsh Reconstruction policy. Uh, He argued in a 2002 book, he wrote, that the Civil War was not necessary to free the slaves, but was actually aimed at destroying the right to secession, which he describes as, quote, the most significant check on the powers of the central government. He is also Benedict... No, hold on, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the most important check on the powers of the central government. Is that we can take our ball and go home whenever we don't like something that you do? I mean, yeah, I guess, but like... Well, I guess I should clarify. When I say neo-Confederate Benedict, I mean people who actually believe the South should secede again. That's Mm. not hyperbole. They want to create a new confederate nation, which for groups like, uh, for people like Michael Hill and the League of the South, which is the largest group of this type, of any sort of note, they literally mean a group which is sort of an Anglo-Christian fascist nation. That is what they want. And they're not really, they don't really try and hide it at all, right? Mm. they, they, They openly say it. They want a Christian theocratic state where white supremacy is ensconced in law. That is what they want. That is what they are after. Uh, and these people, they, they, they don't hide it. Uh, but DiLorenzo, by the way, I should mention, is also um, a senior fellow at the Von Mises Institute. Oh, fun. Okay, yeah. No, that makes sense. It's all lining up. I can see why you wanted to do this series now. Yeah, because very... connections on connections on connections. Benedict. They're all there. They're all always there. Uh, Thomas Fleming, who has a PhD in classics, is the president of the Rockford Institute, who has argued that the government-imposed civil rights 
has been an unmitigated disaster for everyone. Those are both quotes from him. Elsewhere, uh, at the same time, he defended arch-segregationist uh, George Wallace, the mm-hmm. Alabama governor, as having been, quote, clearly on the right track, even if he was mean-spirited in resisting the federal government. Oof. Okay. Mean-spirited. Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the most famous villains, one of the most famous obvious <laughs> villains of history. Yeah, I know, right? Like... I know. Uh, the Rockford Institute, by the way, Benedict, uh, distributes the Regnery Lectures, named after Alfred Regnery, not not William Regnery, the Richard Spencer paying one. Mm. The the I, I believe he's the cousin of that one, but you know the the heir to the publishing fortune, the heir to the right wing publishing fortune, <laughs> is aligned with this segregationist sure. guy. Yeah, yeah, why not? Uh, Donald Livingston, a philosophy professor at Emory College who has written several books on David Hume, uh, has argued that the North invented segregation uh, and that the South only fought in the Civil War because they were invaded. You may recall the war started with them bombarding. Literally, yeah. Literally. Literally. Also, another member of the Von Mises Institute. (laughs) Why not? I didn't know. I couldn't figure out. Why, this was just a weird thing for me, a bunch of these people, a bunch of them, for whatever reason, are, uh, like, fellows or members of the Von Mises Institute. I don't know why there is such overlap. I mean, we know that the Von Mises Institute is a bunch of crypto-fascist, libertarian, white supremacists. We know that. But why in particular is there this overlap between the neo-Confederates and those people? I think it yeah, has to I do with... Yeah, I think the the right's just, like, a lot more connected than people maybe... Give it credit yeah, for anything. Like, I think it also has to do with the fact that uh, because J. Michael Hill founded this organization and it has this this academic patina to it, uh, that there's a lot of professors there, and that okay, you know, yeah, that makes sense. The Von Mises would... Institute is probably going to actively look for people with professional credentials to give them some sort of credibility when they try and do their bullshit. I think that might be part of it. Yeah, I could see that. But as I mentioned, J. Michael Hill he founded this group in 1994 called the League of the South. And actually, it was originally called the Southern League, but they got sued by a minor league baseball organization mm. and had to change it. I thought that was a little bit funny. But this group was originally primarily organized by and for professors, given that Hill himself was a professor when he founded it, mm-hmm. and it provided that sort of patina of legitimacy. But it has become, over the years, more and more just an open, extremist, white supremacist racist group. I mean, it is a is a SPLC-designated hate group. There's no surprise to that, as you'll see after we see some of the things they have said. Uh, in an essay posted to the League's website, Hill wrote, quote, The Southern League respo- supports a return to a political and social system based on kith and kin, rather than an impersonal state wedded to the idea of the universal <laughs> so it, it rights of man. It, it's, it's, okay, so what I'm hearing from this is, like, it, every, and I think we, this has been, like, the, the, the theme of this series so far, is that, like, they want, they, they claim to want the biggest form of government possible until you're like, okay, but what about this? And then eventually it goes to, goes down to I, me, should be able to do whatever the fuck I want. Right. Like, it, it starts with states should be able to do whatever they want and then it's counties and then it's cities Mm -hmm. and then it's me my house my rules like (laughs) if you live under my roof you're allowed to do whatever you want and that's true because i say so like that's literally how this goes yeah all i can all everything you say is like they claim to care about society and live in society until you challenge them on it and then it's only about them 
Yeah, that's sort of part of why I wanted to talk about that third positionism that I noticed through Tucker Carlson earlier uh, at the beginning of the show this week, mm-hmm. because I think it does tie into what the the way these people view government. They are not opposed to government. They are not opposed to big government. They are opposed to government that disagrees doing things they don't like. The, like everyone is. Literally, it just comes down to, I want my personal political preferences to be acted upon, right? It's just that. Mm-hmm. But they want to pretend that it's some sort of um, principled idea about the size or function of government or some bullshit like that. And it's absolutely fucking not, right? It's absolutely fucking not. These people would be absolutely fine with the uh, the new Confederate States government after they secede, uh, you know, having welfare for white people. Only. Yeah, for the right people. Yeah, <laughs> right for the right people. That's what it's all about. Because it's like I've said so many times, the right wing reaction to capitalism, the right wing solution to the problems of capitalism, is fascism. I know mm-hmm. I said I've said that so many times, but I think this is the first time I've said it on this show. But it's gonna be my new thing going forward. Yeah, I think, but I think it's <laughs> yeah. I mean, but. Uh, he continued that quote. I should just want to finish it off. Um, Kith and Kin, rather than an impersonal state, wedded the idea of universal rights of man at its core is a European population. He wrote that in the year 2000. Uh, the goal of the group is to actually achieve... <laughs> after, after, after we dis- accepted Italians and Spanish people as <laughs> right, European, right? Right, that's, right, that's right. That's when right, that was right. written, yeah. Uh, the goal of the group is to achieve Southern secession from the United States. Uh, and it has been active in actual traditional, normal politics to some extent, right? It helped orchestrate a Dump Beasley campaign to remove Governor David Beasley in South Carolina when he supported removing the Confederate battle flag from the state capital. How did it happen that the Confederate battle flag became the one that, do you know? I, mean, just I you know, because... I didn't look into that. Maybe I'll try and look and find out for an update for the next show. I think it's, if I'm going to be honest, it's the snazziest. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean... Look, people were really into flags, and it also turns out it's really hard to design a good-looking flag. So yeah. there's a lot of bad-looking flags out there. Um, I I don't know. Maybe it's just like I think that was the flag of like the largest army of the Confederacy. So maybe a lot of like you know people who it's not like a army. we believe we're still at war thing. No, no, no. It's not anything like. Well, I mean. Who knows? You do hear stupid things from people, you know, who believe in this sort of lost cause narrative and who are, you know, uh, you know, racist shit kickers like the South will rise again or, you know, the war is still going or shit like that. Right. I don't know how seriously anybody believes some stupid shit like that, but maybe it could be a component of it. I will uh, I will look into it and try and have an update okay. for next week's show. So I'll, I'll see if I can find any information on that. I appreciate um, that. Thank you. The League of the South also includes a great number of crossover members from Klan and Nazi hate groups. Uh, Jack Kershaw, one of the uh, uh, original board members, was a lifelong segregationist who was an official in the White Citizens Councils in the 50s and 60s, who we have talked about before. Uh, The group is openly against interracial marriage. Some of the members believe that slavery should be brought back. For, for black people, of course. It's yeah, I mean... It's yeah. racial slavery. That's what they want. Um, and one of the more important members of the League of the South, other than Michael Hill, who is the founder, is a man named Michael Tubbs. 
who, if you know him, is likely because you recognize his picture from the Unite the Right White Supremacist rally okay, in Charlottesville. Okay, that always, always comes back to the fucking Charlottesville every <laughs> single fucking time. Is it almost like I sort of uh, planned around uh, introducing a lot of these groups and then getting us to an episode or two about Unite the Right? It is might it, be, yeah. I would say almost... that that might be well planned. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's almost like I did that thing. It's, it's all, Isn't it crazy how that works? Isn't it mm-hmm. really crazy? But Unite the Right, just for those who don't know, it was in 2017. Uh, Just for those was... who don't know. If you're listening to the show and don't know yeah. what Unite the Right is, you're hey, in the wrong place. We have international listeners who probably maybe don't know. Don't no, remember all that, the was a, that was... That like, was... Okay. I yeah. was going to say, I mean, that that was a very... Uh, it was is very widely covered. I think most people know what the Unite the Right is, right? But it was, and again, we're going to have an episode or two just about Unite the Right and then its aftermath and what it did to the white supremacist groups on the right. Um, but it was organized by neo-Nazis, Klan groups, and white supremacists, explicitly. There was nobody else involved in organizing that except for white supremacists, mm-hmm. and we will talk about them. Uh, but one of the groups that was involved in what was called the National Front, or the Nationalist Front, rather, um, was the League of the South. Uh, and the Nationalist Front was a white supremacist bloc. Okay, block. also, a, a, another thing that I love the way that all these groups, like, use the same kind of name. It's like the, the Monty <laughs> Python thing of, like, we're the International People's Front of Judea. I mean, we're the People's yes. International Front. It's it the, is. Like, it we're is. the National Front. We're the Nationalist Front. We're the National Frontists. We're the Nation Frontists. Like, <laughs> it's literally all the same. There's, like, only so many, like, wink-wink words they can use in so many oh, combinations. Yeah, because, I mean, they're all trying to wink at being Nazis, right? Yeah. I mean, they're all like, hey, we're the national we're the, we're the social nationalists oh. <laughs> right. we're the, the i forget the national american white people's party or whatever yeah. the fuck he changed it to i don't remember but i mean one of the big people who helped organize this was jeff shoop um who led the nsm the national socialist movement mm-hmm. explicitly neo-nazi group had swastikas as his emblems they wore ss epaulets this was a nazi group and, and, and people, everyone who helped organize that rally worked with these Nazis to do so, mm-hmm. including the other Nazis who helped organize the rally. There were other neo-Nazi groups there uh, who we're going to talk about, but also these people from the League of the South who pretend to be less white supremacists than they so obviously are. Uh, because people like Michael Tubbs, who joined the League of the South, I believe in the mid-2010s, uh, sort of took a large role in pushing it to being more openly white supremacist and bringing those sorts of people into the movement. Mm -hmm. And so when 2017 came around, they are one of the groups that was reached out to and which had their own street fighting arm of the organization. uh, And of course, because of that, wanted to participate in Unite the Right, which they thought would just be a fun day of going out and fighting fist fighting in the streets with uh, anti anti-fascists like mm-hmm. they always love to do which is always sort of what they're after um you know michael tubbs who i've mentioned if you've seen him big white goatee long hair big fat guy um you know looks looks like a looks like a sort of ex-biker sort of intimidating kind of dude um very much a white supremacist do not uh, do not uh, pretend that he isn't for example uh in 2017 he posted on facebook we all failed Dylan Roof. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 2017, he posted on Facebook, of course, while we're worried about Muslims coming over here to rape our women, we already have a non-white rape epidemic oh to contend God. with from our black and Hispanic population. Free speech was a mistake. Oh, like You know, sometimes you really do start to think that. So you, there are some things that 
really obviously do like i don't really believe that but like come on <laughs> i know i get what you're saying though i really do get what you're saying because it's just these people fuck these people man fuck yeah. these fucking people um other quotes from people who are part of this organization just to point out uh, jack kershaw who i mentioned a few minutes ago uh he wrote in 1998 quote somebody needs to say a good word for slavery where in the world are the negroes better off today than in america it's not not all that great is it no, brad griffin the league of the south spokesperson said on twitter in june 2017 quote Powerful Jews oppose the assertion of white identity while encouraging the expression of every other identity in order to weaken whites. Cool. And that, if that isn't reminiscent of what you hear just turning on Fox News for all the five minutes, Jesus, that's that's what that fucking is. But um, the one I will read, uh, the one largest quote I will read from Michael Hill, the founder again, remember, which he wrote in August of 2016. He titled this, My Pledge of Allegiance. This is, quote, the browning of America and my native South was not something to which I assented, and I surely do not approve of it. It is not what my ancestors intended for me to inherit, but truly, I have only myself to blame for this tragic fate. While it was happening, I did not do enough to stop it. Now my children and grandchildren may have to pay the price that will come from being a hated white minority in a majority non-white land. And non-Christian, too, I might add. So I don't expect any mercy will be what shown. What religion them. does he think black people are? Just I, You know what? Better if you asked a question like that. But, you know, he probably doesn't think they're actually Christians. I don't yeah. know. Remember, a lot of these people uh, belong to, and we're going to have an episode about the white supremacist religions eventually, <laughs> uh, the uh, Christian identity movement, which literally believes that non-white people don't have souls, right? So... I never put it past them to believe some stupid bullshit, right? Never put it past them. I think, to be fair, also, like, remember, a lot of these people are insane. Like, <laughs> <laughs> also, yes. Also, yes. That's another thing that we forget about. He continues, So whatever time the Lord of hosts, whom I will gladly serve with all my heart, mind, and strength, may allot from me from here to the end, I pledge to spend fighting to restore the South as white man's land. I do this because I believe the admonition in 1 Timothy 5.8, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So in direct contradiction to the politically correct dictates of the current day, I pledge to be a white supremacist, a racist, an anti-Semite, a homophobe, a xenophobe, an Islamophobe, and any other sort of phobe that benefits my people, so help me God. That is, that is yeah. his Pledge of Allegiance. Cool. His Pledge of Allegiance. How many, take, how many people have taken the Pledge of Allegiance? That Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know, but uh, you know, the different thing is uh, membership for the League of the South is more difficult to figure out than other groups because um, it ha it's less formal than mm -hmm. a lot of groups. It's more like, hey, you down with us? And yeah, they'll you know they sort of organize because they're a more modern group. They'll sort of organize on like Facebook and things. Yeah, and it's hard to get an idea of like what the numbers are exactly. But at its peak, uh, you know, several hundred, up to, you know, a couple thousand. Because they have chapters in every southern state. And then, you know, as with any group, uh, beyond official members, supporters bulk those numbers up some, right? So mm -hmm. people who, you know, didn't go to any official meetings, but, you know, they have a cousin who went, and they went along to the rally just to show support for this thing they believe in, which is nonsense. Um, so... And, I, you know, so I mentioned we're going to talk about them when it comes to the Unite the Right rally. Um, 
it should also be noted, and it's probably going to be part of that when we talk about it, the outcome of that and the Signs v. Kessler lawsuit, which they lost, and they got stuck with, you know, paying uh, several hundred thousand dollars to their victims. But they're not the only people who believe this stuff, right? I mean, we hear this all the time. I mentioned 2016-ish, this was the major Republican platform position, was mm -hmm. look at them wanting to take down all of your statues. They want to destroy your history. Mm -hmm. And to sound a little less insane, they would do things like claim insanely that anybody <laughs> wanted to take down like Abraham Lincoln statues. Oh, that, but that but that was a that's been a Republican talking point. Like it's yes. a, a, like during the George Floyd protests. Well, like, how was many it. times have I said that the fringe is the center? There's very little difference between these people and the core of the Republican Party, other than their willingness to actually use the racial slurs. Very little difference beyond that. It's also frustrating, Kevin. I like it is. It, I mean, it's literally like that's the yeah. It, that <laughs> it's like the slippery, <laughs> it's always the slippery slope thing of like oh well, if you're not allowed to do that, then you're not allowed to do that. It's just very, it's very, very yeah. boring. I think some of us remember the John Oliver bit where he played a video of a guy at one of those statue protests uh, who was yell, you know, yelling at an African American gentleman about how uh, you know uh, slaves were expensive. Right? Some shit like that. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> shit like that. I mean, these people do exist in the wild and not wild. just part of any group. They just, there is a huge part of this right wing culture that is devoted to uh, promoting the lost cause and that the South is glorious and virtuous for all time because, as I mentioned in my own story about my sort of right wing shitbagdom, um, mm -hmm. when you live in a place that isn't conservative like california you may be looking for what does conservatism mean and you look and to you where invent it exists. your own you invent your own kind of conservatism which exactly. is I, th that's super interesting to me because it's like when like the people in wisconsin are flying the confederate flag <laughs> yes. like, what you, how, yes. how did we get here i live in missouri i see yeah. more confederate flags here than when i lived in washington dc which actually was part of the south during the civil war right mm -hmm. virginia was part of the fucking south yeah. i see more here in missouri which was in the north during the war okay yeah. it's kind of fucking insane but it's the same thing i think for people who do live it even in those conservative states mm -hmm. they're looking for an identity and they build it based off of stereotypes. Yeah. Right? Just yeah. stereotypes. You they get what snippets themselves. of information that you can. And then you, um, like you, you construct, it's like an identikit. Like uh, you construct your own identity, right? Based Absolutely. around the, yeah. the snippets of what you see in media. And like, if you're not in a community experiencing it, then you can only uh, build what you see basically. And, yes. and the, the things that travel furthest are often the racist shit. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Absolutely. So you'll still you'll run into these people in the wild still to today, and they will be making the same bad arguments that these people have been making since 1866. Right? The war was about states' rights. States' rights to what, motherfuckers? It's, it, it's also amazing, like the the way like. <laughs> That's like original spin, right? Like that's oh, the yeah. original spin. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that. Um, but yeah, it's it's you know you see that play out in real time now. That like it took years for the Confederacy to to plant that seed and uh, or to and, and for it to become like the dominant narrative. Because it took like what thirty years. Like post Reconstruction is when that narrative really took took hold. I would say, like, uh, but then they. I mean, obviously Jefferson Davis 
wrote his book before that but like now it happens in a week like you get the oh like yeah we were wrong we're sorry and then by the end of the week it's like actually we were right and you're wrong for calling us wrong like yeah i mean social media allows that shit to just spread so much well i mean even like even cable news i think yeah it's not oh yeah and and that's why i say that tucker carlson is the most powerful person in in right-wing politics because he sets what the narrative is Mm -hmm. everyone looks to him because you know, if someone steps out of the party line, if Mitch McConnell says something that Tucker disagrees with, he will, you know, openly attack McConnell on his show. And that means all of McConnell's followers, which is the majority of the Republican Party, will then start attacking Mitch McConnell based off of whatever Tucker said they need to be angry about. Mm-hmm. It's exactly that. And you're right. That's exactly the same thing. It's how, you know, when these statues were coming down in the wake of George Floyd, Donald Trump, who at that time still had a platform, would go on and say, they're attacking your history. And that became the narrative. Mm-hmm. Same exact thing. So, but you'll still hear these arguments from these people, some of them that you might hear. Things like, secession was justifiable in light of northern cultural and economic aggression against the South, which is just dumb horse shit, right? Cultural? Cultural aggression? Mm-hmm. You mean, like, you can't have slaves? Is that yeah. what you mean? Economic? You mean, like... You can't have slaves? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what you mean. Uh, they'll also say things like slaves had it better off here than in Africa, which is usually something incredibly stupid, like they got Christianity and education, and look, they're doing better here now than the ones that we also colonized in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> and why, why do you think Africa is... Yeah. So, yeah. It's a complete lie on one hand, because they didn't get education, right? And it denies the humanity of those kidnapped and brought over here as slaves, or that they had their own religions, which had exactly the same amount of utility as Christianity, I will argue, because, you know, I don't think religions have utility very much in in any instance, but uh, certainly no benefits to Christianity over any other religion that anyone can point to. Uh, They'll argue that most Confederates didn't own slaves, Mm -hmm. and this ignores that the Southern economy was based on slavery yeah as well as again cornerstone yeah <laughs> as well as both that the average southerner who didn't own slaves still had a personal investment in maintaining white supremacy mm-hmm. and that although it's true that most didn't own slaves because yes it was expensive the slave renting program of the south meant that most who owned property had used slaves at one time or another Uh, For example, in Charleston, South Carolina, in 1800, the city had about a total of 10,000 slaves, and about 20%, or 2,000 of those, were rented out at any given time by the large slaveholders. This was a practice that continued up until the eve of the Civil War. And Frederick Douglass's autobiographies themselves contain stories of him being leased out. Yeah, and the abuses he went to like four different, four different places, yeah. Yes, it was very regular practice. So, oh, my grandparents couldn't afford to own slaves. Yeah, they fucking rented. Uh, which is almost as hideous, right? I mean, just as hideous, if we're being honest about yeah. it. Um, they'll also argue, uh, as trying to, for some reason, uh, reduce Southern culpability, that some freed African Americans owned slaves. Um, And this is true, but of course, it's a gross distortion of reality. Some freed people certainly also sucked and owned some slaves. Uh, William Ellison is one that they'll often point to, who was a freed slave and likely the son of the master who freed him. Uh, And in South Carolina, it was very difficult for freed people to also free their relatives. There were laws in place in many states that uh, uh, freed people had to leave the state. They were enacted at a certain time. 
Uh, and this meant that many resorted to buying their family members if they couldn't put together the money, if they could put together the money. And this is why most black slave owners in the South owned slaves, mm -hmm. because they had to buy their family members. This is That's what Ellison not did. not good. This is what Ellison did with his wife and daughter, but he also appears to have kept going and bought himself a whole bunch of slaves. At his peak, he owned 68 slaves, which made him one of the largest slaveholders in South Carolina, mm -hmm. and he fully supported the Confederate cause in the war. And the most we can say about that is that some people just suck. But mm -hmm. there is no support for the argument that black people owning slaves make the Southern cause any less evil or more valid. An outlier does not prove the point that they think it does. No. It's just dumb. Just You'll see just bullshit lie arguments. Like, uh, more uh, uh, freed, slave, freed black people owned slaves in the South than white people did. Blah, And that's just a complete lie. It's just a total fucking lie. Um, they'll argue that the North was just as racist as the South. Which is uh, not maybe true. true, yeah. No, but well, but, but not they, true, but they were racist, but didn't own slaves. Yes, I will say there. You know, if we had to come up with a measurable metric for racism, um, owning, owning slaves human is the is worst a pretty one. Yes. hard metric to overcome on any measure. But also, I think worth reflecting on the fact that you know the Northerners were also racist. They held prejudices against. People of color. And, uh, you know, at that time also, you know, the various peoples of Europe that weren't considered white at the time, right? Uh, and I would also, you know, recommend, uh, listen to Randy Newman's song, Rednecks. It's a great little song. It is a Jewish white guy using the N-word for to make a point in a song. Uh, but the point of that song very much is, hey, North, you're fucking racist too, right? Because the song begins with him singing as though he is a Southerner who's mad at the North, because uh, Lester Maddox was on a TV show with some <laughs> smart-ass New York Jew. That's how the song begins. Right. Um, Jew laughed at Lester Maddox. The audience laughed okay, at yeah, Lester Maddox, Okay, yeah, that's enough. I love the you song. It's sing a the whole song. This Randy bad, Newman's yeah. a great singer. He's just fantastic. And so it starts off the first two verses criticizing the South through this sort of shit-kicking, dumb redneck singing about what's great about the South, right? And then it turns into all the Northerners who were laughing along with Randy Newman thinking the song is just making fun of the South. Randy Newman is is pointing out that you motherfuckers are racist too. Look how, I think the, the line is, uh, the N-word is free to be a slave in uh, uh, Harlem in New York City. He's free to be... Uh, I forget the other places that are mentioned in the song, but he lists off places that are, you know, black ghettos in northern cities. It's a wonderful song. Um, I think everyone should go check it out. It's really good. Um, but other lost causers will point to things like, you know, that sort of mythical aristocratic southern ideal that most certainly never existed as they picture it. And uh, even if it ever did come close, was only among the very wealthy elite of the South, right? It's the sort of Southern chivalry that only people who think enslaving human beings existed could be a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, the, the gone with the wind idea of, uh, of what the South is, right? Yeah. And um, then there's that whole, uh, you know, maybe slavery was a good thing, which <laughs> some people still do argue. Yep. <laughs> it's really just ridiculous, man. It's like, what, what are we supposed to do with people like that? I honestly don't know. But Benedict, that is our overview of the lost cause of the Confederacy and some of our uh, neo-Confederate fellows we're going to be talking about later on in this series as we it's continue. It's a lot on. going on, Kevin. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's a, a lot, lot going, going on, on, isn't it? It's a lot going on. It is uh, a, a big bramble to untangle, isn't it? 
But um, you learn anything today? Uh, yeah, the right's more connected <laughs> than we thought. Um, well, than I thought, I guess. I don't know. I look that if anything is my goal for this, it is to prove my point that the fringe is the center and the the modern American right and you know the international right because they are also interconnected. Um, there's there's very little difference. There's very when it comes down to it, most of the differences are just aesthetics. They're all just yep. aesthetics when we come down to it. Yeah. It's crazy. It's really crazy, man. But uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. J.D. Mangus found the song. Yes, you did. George Saulnier, Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Hailman, Utah Outcast, Pause, Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw! Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Takanan, and Balls Waterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, McCraw! Goodbye. podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.